This episode is brought to you by North Texas Honda Dealers. North Texas Honda Dealers, they're here to help. He has time, launches it to the end zone. Touchdown, Terrence Williams. Goes to the right side for Crabtree. It's caught. He put, oh, he's going hard. Welcome everyone to the Republic of Football. I'm your host Ishmael Johnson in studio with Mike Craven. Mike, what's up? How's it going? Yeah, it's going good, man. It's going good. No games this week. You're kind of chilling here, aren't you? I feel weird. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah, this is this is weird. We're not prepping for anything. Having like we got weeks away before we really have to start paying attention to games and yeah, like I don't know. It feels it feels I don't want to say it feels relaxing, but then it doesn't because we're doing obviously high school stuff, um, getting that stuff together for a, a hectic week next week at state. But as far as college goes, this is nice. This is real nice. What's weird? I have a love hate relationship with college football, right? Or with the job? Sure, sure. You know where yeah. it's all spring and summer. You're just looking forward to the season getting there because then you have like real finite things to like write about. You're right. not just like writing random stories. Yep. And then October, November comes along, and you're like, man, I need this to be over with. I'm tired. I'm kind of running on fumes. I could use a little bit of break. Right. And then it actually ends, and you're like, man, I'm lonely. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, like, what do I do with right. my time? Like, January, I don't know. You're like, like and you're like, man, wait, that was, wait, dang. Like, you're right. looking like, August is so far away now. Like, what does a normal person do on Saturday? Right. You're yeah. right. Like, I don't know what to do with my weekends. That's very true. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, so... Happy to have you regardless. Happy to have you in a little bit of a traveling break before things kick up next week. And we're all stuck in Arlington in the same room for four days. So that's going to be another different type of uh, stress. So. A rite of passage. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this will be your first one with officially full time with us. You've covered uh, State with us in some capacity before. Um, and, of course, you've gone as well. But officially with us, this will be the rite of passage to full time Mike Craven. Well, as you know, if you're listening to us, we are putting on a show, so we do have some things to talk about. We're going to get into our All-Texas teams, our player, uh, Players of the Year, Coach of the Year selections. We'll get into that in a little bit, but before, we do got a little bit of uh, coaching news to get to. Joey McGuire is amassing a coaching all-star team, apparently, it seems, uh, in Lubbock. Me and you were talking before we started recording that, you know, we were kind of curious about what's What's Joey McGuire's Rolodex look like at Texas Tech, right? Is it going to be a little – is he leaning – Is would he be leaning too much on those high school acumen? You know, maybe bringing up some guys that, uh, albeit it's worked out for him, but somebody like a Jeff Trailer, who, you know, Barry Lunny wasn't exactly a, a slam dunk offensive coordinator hire at the time. Uh, Will Stein from Lake Travis was like, okay, that's interesting. But it seems like, you know, again, he's still planning out a staff, but Joey McGuire was hitting a college – Co- experienced college coaching staff uh, recently. Zach Kidley hired from West, Western Kentucky as offensive coordinator. Of course, Sonny Cumbie's gone to Louisiana Tech to be the head coach. Tim DeRuder from Oregon, defensive coordinator. Emmett Jones from Kansas and, of course, formerly of South Oak Cliff uh, at uh, wide receivers coach. And Zarnell Fitch from TCU, defensive line coach. He's Joey McGuire is making some calls, and he's putting together pretty damn good staff. You can tell he had a mission statement yeah. and he, he wanted guys that had ties in the high school community, but also had experience coaching major college football. And he's been able to strike maybe the best balance I've seen 
of a staff doing that, especially sure. with, with your first go around of it. When I went out to Lubbock and talked to him about it and like, what was the difference between high school and college and kind of like, what are going to be the challenges? The number one thing he talked about was putting together a coaching staff. Mm -hmm. He was happy that Sonny Cumbie was sticking around and taking over the head coaching duties because not only could he sit back and recruit players, but yeah. he could sit back and recruit coaches and really identify who he wanted to be on his staff. And it seems like for the most part, he's been able to get his first choices. I think it speaks to the respect that Joey McGuire has within coaching ranks, even with guys he doesn't know. I'm sure there's like Kevin Bacon degrees of separations oh, right. between all those guys where it's like a guy I know vouches for a guy, you know, that sure, kind sure. of thing. Yeah. Um, and he's also done a good job of, okay, you know, Dallas, you mm -hmm. know, Houston, you know, these area you've recruited Austin, you've, you know, and so, uh, yeah, I, I'm really excited to see uh, what that staff uh, ends up doing with Texas Tech. And I think Kitley was a home run hire at offensive coordinator. Right? I think yeah. it fits perfectly at Texas Tech. He obviously knows the landscape there and knows what to expect there. And when we've known Texas Tech to be really good at football, that's the type of offense that they've ran. And you watch Western Kentucky this year, and you try to translate that into Texas Tech, and it's pretty exciting to think about what they're going to be able to do offensively. 100%. And you look at – in his press conference, he mentioned, you know, it's always been a, it's always been a meme at this point with Texas Tech. He said, we're going to play defense, right? He's like he's, He emphatically said that. So he goes and gets Tim DeRuiter. Right, Tim DeRuiter was uh, his Texas tie, quote unquote Texas tie, is uh, he was I believe he was Mike Sherman's defensive coordinator when he was at A and M. But of course, most famously, solid start to his head coaching tenure at Fresno, and then he coached a pretty good defense at Cal before becoming the Oregon defensive coordinator um, last year. And this guy knows defense, like this guy knows defense and scheme. And I, th th to me, this type of hire shows that he wasn't joking around. Right, he's he wasn't going to go get a linebacker coach to promote him and try. He's like, no, we're getting an established name to turn this thing around as quickly, quickly as we can. Cause we can talk about offense all we want. Cliff Kingsbury had Pat Mahomes. It did not matter because they could not play defense. And that shows that that's going to be a priority for him heading into his first season. I think it just lends credibility to everything that he's trying to build in Texas tech. Like mm -hmm. this isn't a wait and see approach with a bunch of kind of upstart guys that like, may or may not work out at the college level like they know what they're doing they can hit the ground running and figure that kind of stuff out and right. so uh, we're starting to see you know we had talked about this when he first got hired you know what does Joey McGuire want his offense and defense to look like and we're starting to see what that is and mm -hmm. it, it's it's modern yeah. you know he's going he's he's on the front foot with these hires and he's going to run an odd man front defensively and really emphasize speed and getting around the football offensively. They're going to spread the ball around and be a high powered, you know, you know, high scoring type offense. So, uh, so far, so good for him in terms of hiring. Of course, there's things that you got to do on the field and you got to recruit and get the guys there to win. Uh, but just on paper, I don't know if you could have gotten a better staff. Had you shown me this staff a month ago, sure. I'd been like, oh, A-plus home run hires. Sure, exactly. And uh, moving on to TCU a little bit, uh, they made some hires as well. Um, actually, sorry, SMU. I'm looking at, I'm looking at SMU, actually. Um, Keenan Hall from TSU is going to be their running backs coach. Uh, Garen Justice from Miami, I uh, believe coach with Brett Lashley at Miami, will be the offensive line coach. And Casey Woods from Missouri will be – the uh, offensive coordinator, obviously, we assume Rhett Lash will be calling plays. Um, I don't know if he's officially confirmed that or not, but I think we all presume if you hire a Rhett Lash that you want him kind of calling plays. 
Right. That's that's kind of like his calling card, you know, like he, it's like Steve Sarkeesian at, at Texas, right? right? Like you don't want to hire that guy unless you also get his like acumen for play calling because that's what he does super well. Yep. Um, another guy that I think is is doing this the correct way, putting together guys that have ties in different regions and different parts of the state that are respected not only by players but by coaches mm-hmm. around the state and have skins on the wall who they trust. And, you know, anybody who's listening to this podcast knows – and you know, like the Texas high school football coaches are, you know, as bad, about as big of a mafia as there is, right? right? And like to be to have guys on your staff that can walk in and already have the names and and you know they're already known inside of those hallways and stuff. I think is important. And he he knows that the staff that was previously there at SMU did a good job of making SMU kind of Dallas's school sure. and trying to like put that fence around the DFW area those same coaches are only 30 miles away. And so he's, he needs to get some of those guys that can come in and immediately get respect in high schools and immediately get players to, to sign up on board. And I think he's done a good job for a first year head coach. Cause I, I honestly think that's the most underrated and hardest part of being a first year head coach is putting together a staff. Like you just, yeah. you have to do that in a way that in high school, you know, the administration takes a lot of that. You know, the school board does a lot of that kind of stuff. You don't have as much um, free, you know, ability to kind of do whatever you'd like to do. Joey McGuire said at Cedar Hill, four of his five offensive coordinators were hired from within. Mm-hmm. You know, he didn't have to just, like, build this staff from scratch. We're starting to see McGuire and Lashley kind of put those pieces together. And you're starting to see that trend of, like, having Texas high school roots and ties yep. becoming – like an obvious thing. Like sure. it used to be kind of like, Oh, that's, a, that's a former high school coach. who's getting a job. That's kind Neat. of new yeah. and interesting. We'll yeah. see how that goes. Now it's almost a requirement. Mm-hmm. You know, now every staff has a couple of those guys in it. And so it'll be interesting to see how that trend continues to grow and grow. Yep. And lastly, um, you hinted on it on our Sunday episode, but at the very end I got on to you cause we almost went a whole show without mentioning it. There's a certain five-star quarterback, uh, kind of, smartly mulling over his options very patiently uh quinn ewers of course was in the transfer is is still in the transfer portal announced his transfer i believe last week from ohio state um obviously we people know his name uh, former south lake carroll quarterback highest rated i believe 247 quarterback since vince young i believe it's it's you can go down the list right consensus five-star best player uh at that time in the 2022 class obviously ohio state just had just started the Big Ten Player Offensive Player of the Year. He wasn't going to get any uh, time there. According to a report on Twitter I saw, I have to, I'll have to look it up later, uh, his NIL deal kind of guaranteed, needed him to start a couple games. He went to Ryan Day. Ryan Day said, I'm not going to do that, smartly. Um, so he left, and it is reportedly down to Texas. And so so what I, the originally, originally there were three schools, Texas, Texas Tech, Texas A&M. A&M quickly was squashed out. Didn't make sense anyway. They have Connor Wigman coming in. Haynes King is apparently really liked there as well. So he, it did not make sense if he wants to go somewhere and start. Um, I know it was reported that he took a visit to TCU. So that is uh, – I, I don't know how much was, hey, they're in town, you know. <laughs> um, but it's also reported that Tech is very much in the picture, and he's visiting Texas this weekend, I believe. Is right. That, that's right. So – I think it's down to Tech in Texas. If I'm going based off parity and the sake of just like as a college football fan, I would love Tech personally because I think that would add the most balance to everything. 
if he goes to Texas, I think that would obviously be a home run for them. Um, but I think as far as also guaranteeing that you'll probably start day one at both of those schools too. Um, I, as, no offense to Tyler Shuck, no offense to those guys, to Case Thompson, Hudson Card. If you get Quinn Ewers, he's probably starting day one. Yeah, he's a step above. Yeah. And, I mean, I think people who have listened to this podcast know, I mean, I, I like Donovan Smith. Yep. I like Casey Thompson. I think those are, are both really good quarterbacks. Um, Quinn Ewers is Trevor Lawrence type good, mm-hmm. right? Like he is a as sure thing as you can get in recruiting is a Quinn Ewers. I think Texas has the inside track. He grew up a Longhorn fan. His family are Texas fans. He was committed to Texas under the previous staff before things went south there uh, for Tom Herman. So I think with just the uh, talent around him, right, he would walk into an offense where he can hand the football off to Bajon Robinson. He can throw the football to Xavier Worthy. I would think those are enticing things. Austin has to be the better NIL market. Yep. Right, if if he is that concerned with money, and it sounds like that is maybe the number one kind of deal breaker for him, sure. um, then Austin feels like the place where you could cash in and make the most money if you become a big star at the University of Texas, and if you can get them to a place where they've been trying to get to since Colt McCoy left, right? Right, like the world is your oyster, you know, in that city with how it's growing and the tech money and Tesla and Dell and all that kind of stuff. I'm with you though. He goes to Texas Tech. And, He's a god. Right. Instantly. Right. It's like Patrick Mahomes, like cult hero type yep. type deal. And it would change the trajectory of that program. All of a sudden, a couple wide receivers and running backs and some other recruits would follow him there that maybe Texas Tech wouldn't get otherwise. Um, it would be a big deal out there in Lubbock for him to be there. I just have I have a hard time believing, you know, because Sark – He's an offensive genius, right? Everybody sure. knows sure. what Sark can do offensively. I think if you're Quinn Ewers, you only have to, you only have to do this for two more years, mm-hmm. right? Because he started the clock early that year at Ohio State counts as like a year away from high school. Right. So this is a two-year decision for him. I just think with the pieces that are already in place in Austin, the market that is Austin in terms of like just businesses, and then you add in Steve Sarkeesian and his track record with quarterbacks and getting them drafted and Heisman's and all that kind of stuff, it's hard for me to imagine he leaves Texas without being a future Longhorn. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm starting to lean to. The fact that Texas was seems to be the last visit maybe says something too. Um, I think if you're, if you're Sarkeesian, you know that Obviously, you are who you are as a play caller, but you're also offering the Texas brand and the Texas, you know, machine behind you, and that's hard to turn down. It's if you're Joey McGuire, you can obviously offer what we talked about being that cult icon. You know, at Texas, as good as you can be, you know, you're probably never being Vince Young, right? right. You're probably never going to be a Colt McCoy, and you, you'll be another name on the wall. Granted, the highs are highs, right? right. Like those guys have livings for life. Where anytime they want it, anytime Colt McCoy wants to retire from football, he can do whatever he wants in regards to Texas because of where he was. Um, but in the end, do, does that matter, right? Does he want to be a name on the wall like that? Fairly secure in their own right. He could also be somebody unique at Tech, and maybe that's something – that's what I think the difference between the pitches as well. McGuire can offer that. And he also can offer, hey, look, I just signed – I just got the guy that uh, had this FCS quarterback throw for 5,000 yards at FBS, right? right. So if, if, if Zach Kittley is somebody – if he cares about numbers and production, 
He's like, yeah, I come throw for fifty five hundred yards attack. You know, I don't know, but right. um, I and think it's definitely and the pressure's different too. One hundred percent, right? So I mean, you go eight and four at Texas Tech. Yeah. You know, that's a good season. You did great. You threw for four thousand yards. You know, Davey O'Brien, all that kind of stuff. That's good, right? Yep. You, you do all that at Texas and go in eight eight and four, and you're still getting crushed, right? right? And so, right. Uh, but to me, you know, and and we're both big. Pay the players as much as they're worth, sure, right? Sure. Market value. We live in a capitalistic world. Why can't these college kids also have that same uh, ability? Mm -hmm. However, this does feel like kind of the first hired gun. Like this feels like free agency more than recruiting. Right. Right. Like right. where like Quinn Ewers is kind of mulling his options and financials, like, you know, ability. Using and, and his see, leverage. Yeah. Right. Like it, it, de it definitely, it feels more like European soccer yeah, yeah. than college definitely, football yeah. right now. And I, I think that is kind of where the concern is growing here. Mm -hmm. When you start hearing things like his NIL deal is dependent on how many games he starts and stuff like that. I think that's where we're starting to get into the territory where you know some of the paranoid coaches have been talking about how this this is going to have some unintended consequences. Sure, this is one of those unintended consequences where you know you kind of see these big quarterbacks being able to just kind of like hold people by the barrel, basically, yeah. and just kind of be like, "What can you offer me?" Right, right, and yep. maybe that's how it should have always been, but it just feels weird seeing it in real time. Like it just it feels like a different mechanism that did used to exist and in some ways it was always happening it's just happening above the table right. now right. so um so anyway that's a little bit of the news like i said uh we wanted to get this out and we didn't want to spend too much time on the ewer stuff because that could very well that news could very well break by the time we're done recording we don't know what's happening with this timetable apparently it's been reported that there is no timetable for his decision so you know, we'll see how long this plays out. We're uh, we're the podcast more concerned with where Cameron Ward is going. Oh my goodness, right? yes, Cameron Ward also just announces uh, intention to transfer, which isn't too surprising since Eric Morris left uh, uh, to go be the OC at Wazoo. Does he take Cameron Ward with him? I don't know. I would love for a Group of Five or Power Five school in Texas to come take a shot on him because he absolutely deserves it. He, we're, we're already signing him up for UTEP. Oh my God, I would. Oh my gosh, with him with Justin, him and Garrett and Jacob Cowing. Uh, That'd be it. Just get some linemen. Um, but, yeah, no, he's. I believe he announced he has three years of eligibility left, which is absolutely nuts because he's been killing it for not even a full year yet because they played in the spring. So, right, like, it's still, right. there's still, it's like right. he's played twice in the past year. He's thrown for something like 8,000 yards in 2021. <laughs> Like so it, it's ridiculous because so like weird, like yeah. the spring season happened and stuff, but like when you think about it, like no quarterback has ever thrown for more <laughs> yards in a single like calendar year that's than Cameron Ward. Yeah, that's awesome. That's so cool. Um, yeah, so we'll keep a track. We'll keep an eye on him. Uh, I believe the the boring result will be he just goes to Wazoo and leaves right. us forever. But right. uh, <laughs> <laughs> be mailing him letters, right? You know, like, like hey, hey, come back. Hey, can you send us some highlight tape or something <laughs> so we can remember <laughs> what it was like? Uh, but anyway, uh, we'll keep track on that uh, and as it goes along. But we did drop some news this week. We dropped our all Texas teams. We're going to get into a little bit of it. We're not going to run through the whole list. You can go check that out on texasfootball.com. Please go give us all those juicy clicks because that helps us out. Uh, but we'll discuss the big awards, offensive, defensive player of the year, coach of the year. And I'm going to ask Craven, who was the main architect of this list, some of his thought process, thought processes, processes, whatever, uh, when it came to hardest decisions, easy decisions, uh, hardest positions to pick. Uh, we'll, along the way, we'll hit on some of the uh, highlights of the teams. First, start off with probably one that was one of your hardest decisions. Offensive player of the year, Frank Harris from UTSA. 
Um, me and you actually talked quite a bit about this one, about the logic behind it. If he was the right guy, if he was the right guy on that team. Right. Um, last year, I think we gave this to Sincere McCormick. And I think for me, at least, the argument for Frank Harris this year was that Sincere McCormick was still very good and probably on paper their most talented player. But UTSA reached the heights they did this, this year because of Frank Harris. Sure, right. Like, Sincere McCormick went off last year, and they were 7-5. and five. Right. Uh, Frank Harris went off this year alongside Sincere McCormick, and they're 12-1 and one Conference USA champions and have rewritten every record yep. at UTSA. And so I, I think what Harris did not – he may not have the same numbers as a Tanner Mordecai mm-hmm. or even a Clayton Toon, and I, I think that's what made that decision hard is you look at Tanner Mordecai's numbers and they're just absurd, right? And if we were giving out this award after seven weeks, like in week eight, Tanner Mordecai was the clear offensive player of the year, right? Sure. Um, but I do think team results matter. If, if everything's pretty equal, right, like how your team performs and how you perform late in games and in important games matter. And if you look at UTSA's football season, right, mm-hmm. Frank Harris had some moments there that were the difference between a conference USA championship and an eight and four season. Yeah. Um, you know, he throws the touchdown pass against UAB that clinches it. Mm-hmm. He throws six touchdowns on the road, you know, against Western Kentucky in a shootout. He leads the team during big time drives in the conference USA championship, you know, game at UTEP. He was incredible. And so, uh, he was a model of consistency. I think he only threw like one interception or, or he only threw interceptions in one game over the last like seven, you right. know, like yep. he, six of his last seven games, he didn't throw an interception. He was always over, you know, two. 150 around 300 total yards he could do it with his legs as well so I think when you did team results individual importance and then just like impact on a program Mm -hmm. from a kid who kind of started this whole San Antonio to UTSA movement like he was kind of that first big recruit that could have gone to p5 schools elsewhere and instead said look, we can do something here in San Antonio to put this program and this city on the map as a football city and to watch it kind of culminate in what it did mm-hmm. and for his his ability and his importance in what it culminated in, I just think he earned the right to be the offensive player of the year this year. Yep, I think I agree. Um, anytime you can go toe-to-toe with Bailey Zappi. Um, 2-0. And, and 2-0 and against Bailey Zappi and go toe-to-toe with him in terms of yards and production in the same game, that is pretty nuts. So – uh, that was Offensive Player of the Year. Defensive Player of the Year, Jalen Petrie. I don't know if this one was as hard. Best defensive player on the best defensive team. Um, and then we saw Baylor win a Big 12 championship. What was your thought process going into this one? Yeah, I think the only guy that came close to me for me was Clarence Hicks mm-hmm. from UTSA. Is, mm-hmm. You know, 10 sacks. I think he had 12 and a half tackles for loss. He, you know, he had like the big interception against Western Kentucky. He had a couple sacks. Uh, against UAB when they needed some stops. So he also came in big. But I am like, like I don't know if there's a big, like, unless you're a Baylor fan, grad, like, yeah. there's probably not a bigger Jalen Petrie stan than like me. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like, I love that guy because he does everything. I mean, how many, how many players do you know that can have, you know, double digits tackles for loss, multiple sacks, multiple interceptions, multiple force fumbles, multiple fumble recoveries? Like, modern defensive football is about versatility and almost positionless football, Mm -hmm. right? Like, the way we talk about basketball. Like, that's how the back end of college football defense is getting played now. Nobody illustrates that more 
than a Jalen Petrie. He can play linebacker. He can play safety. Sometimes he's a defensive end rushing the passer. Right, like right. He literally does everything, and that defense was really, really good. You know, We could have given it to Terrell Bernard. Mm-hmm. You know, He was a worthy candidate. That defense was just outstanding, and so – uh, Baylor deserved, you know, one of those awards, and it felt like, like you said, best. Who was the most impactful, best player on that defense? It has to be Jalen Petrie. So it did kind of feel like a pretty slam dunk, easy decision. Yeah, he's 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 that modern. You know, I think when people talk about the the, the development of the modern defense, you know, uh, how it used to be with Alabama, right? You look at the Alabama, and you looked at kind of the 250 or 60 pound linebackers they had right then then that gets kind of thrown out when they lose to Clemson and they're kind of seeing these wide open offenses take place and it's like okay now you need maybe a guy who used to be a safety to play that middle linebacker role that's you mentioned that is Jalen Petrie to a T he's the guy who you don't have to take off when you go to nickel right you don't he's not exposed in the run game he's not exposed in the pass game um, he can just fit anywhere you need him, and yeah, this Baylor defense didn't doesn't click the same way it does. It has a lot of talent, but it doesn't click the same way it does if it doesn't have somebody that versatile kind of all over the field. Because they're not personnel dependent. Yeah. Right? Like, it's not like, oh, they're running 22, or they're running 31, they're running 13, so we got to change every single time. Like, Baylor got to dictate yep. those type of things, and that doesn't happen very much anymore in football. It used to happen. That used to be the way it was, but sure. then offenses kind of took over to where the defense was more reactive than proactive Mm -hmm. with a guy like Jalen Petrie you can use that same 11 on first down second down third down on third and short on third and long like it doesn't matter he can fill in that void whatever you need he's a unique football player who also has like we were talking about with Frank Harris has a tremendous origin story yeah right he's in that 2017 recruiting class where everybody kind of bailed on on Baylor and he stuck it through not just the Art Briles stuff but also the Matt Rule stuff Mm -hmm. the pandemic and to come out on the other side as this star football player I mean he's a folk hero in in at you know Baylor you know the one who stayed is what they call him down there and so uh, just a tremendous year for him and maybe in my in my recent memory probably the most enjoyable defensive player for me to watch on a week in week out basis. Like mm-hmm. I, I would put on the Baylor game on Sunday and just like watch Jalen Peachy play right. defense. Cause it's, it's a unique fun thing to do that you can see other programs copying. Like that's what they're trying to do with DeMarvian Overshone at Texas, right? Yeah. Like that's, that's what I'm you're trying how hard to do. It can be. Right. <laughs> and so uh, it's, he is on the front of like a new age of kind of defensive player. And I think in a five, 10 years, we're going to be like, Oh, he's kind of like a Jalen Petrie. Right. Oh, that guy's kind of like a Jalen Petrie. Like he's going to become kind of the prototype of what defenses are looking for at that kind of hybrid safety linebacker position. And lastly, this one, is kind of obvious, but also wasn't because so many I thought this was hard. Th- really? Okay, yeah. so so let's get – Coach of the Year, Jeff Trailer. Now, the other argument, you could have obviously had Dave Aranda, who brought Baylor – you know, what was the, what was the record last year? Two and eight? Yep. It? Uh, or, two, yeah. Whatever it was. Two wins. I Three and seven. Two, yeah. and two and eight, yeah. Um, to a Big 12 championship. Could have gone to UTEP. Dana Dimmel uh, brought him back to a bowl game after, again, the program didn't really look like it had a direction for a while. Um, yeah, I mean, if, if Holgerson would have won the AAC, he probably right. would have been, been in this discussion as well. You go with Jeff Trailer, and I think, you know, casual fans probably see why, right? What they did with UTSA, this, how successful they were last year, and then to take the leap they did this year and just kind of hitting another level. And I don't know if you, you put this into thought, but I kind of put this into thought. He committed to this program. Right. I think that when you see the comparison to how Sonny Dykes handled what SMU went through, 
um, basically it took like a week or two before that tech job came open to where he's like, I'm staying at UTSA. And like before even TCU, like anybody, any other job opened up, he was committed to UTSA. And I, you know, I don't know if that factored into you, but to me that said a lot about what he's building there, what he actually believes in building there. And because the fact that there's been so many poorly handled coaching carousel moves this, this, this off season. And he basically put that to rest saying, uh, I'm good. Right. I'm good where I'm at, which is un- almost unheard of for a program of UTSA size. Here was what made it difficult for me. Before the season, I thought UTSA could compete for a West Division in Conference USA. Yeah. I didn't think Baylor could win the Big 12. Sure, fair. And fair. I didn't think UTEP could win seven games. Fair. And so I think UTSA kind of hit their expectations. Mm-hmm. Uh, more, or at least they had more expectations, right? Yeah. Um, but the thing that gave Jeff Trailer to me kind of that tie-breaking nod was this has never been done before at UTSA. Yeah. UTEP's won seven games before. Baylor's won a Big 12 championship game before. They were in one two yeah. years ago, right, right? right? So it's not unheard of for Baylor to compete for a conference championship. It's not unheard of for UTEP to go to a bowl game. It has literally never happened where UTSA has been ranked, who's been undefeated at 11-0, and 0, right, yeah. who, who won a conference championship game. All those things were first. It's hard to do things for the first time. It's hard to put that imprint on a program. And he will walk away from UTSA whenever that day comes as, you know, like the Daryl K. Royal of yep. UTSA football, right? And so uh, that deserves recognition. Um, he had a really talented team that – went through a conference USA that, you know, isn't the big 12, right? Like right. we can all admit that conference USA isn't, you know, a murderer's row. Right. Um, but to do something for the first time at a program and really establish it as a college football program, not a cute story that we talk about in the state, but like that national writers are talking about that, you know, their bowl game with San Diego States being talked about as like the best non New York, New Year six bowl. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, like, the Roadrunners are a talking point in college football, and that's because of the job Jeff Trailer and that staff has done. And to me, that's kind of what gave him that nod, even though what Dana Dimmel did at UTEP is heroic, mm-hmm. right? What, da- what Dave Aranda did, is doing at Baylor is also huge. Um, but, yeah, it was a tough – and like you said, had, had Houston won the a- AAC championship or whatever, that was going to be tough, right? right. Like, and so – um, I think it just says a, a good thing about the state of Texas football right now. There are a lot of good coaches and a lot of programs. You know, we're not talking about Jimbo Fisher or right. Steve Sarkeesian in these, you know, the conversations. There's a lot of good football um, being played across the state, not just at maybe the power broker programs. Yep. Before I get into some of these questions um, that I have for you, I'm going to run through some of these superlatives real quick. So I mentioned those three. Uh, we have Offensive Freshman of the Year, which I do want to ask you about, uh, Alden McCaskill from Houston. Defensive Freshman of the Year, Tyreek Chapman from A&M. And then we're going to go through the positions. Uh, best Quarterback, Frank Harris. Best Running Back, Sincere McCormick. Best Wide Receiver, Jacob Cowing from UTEP. Best Offensive Lineman, Kenyon Green from A&M. Best Defensive Lineman, DeMarvin Leal from A&M. Best Linebacker, Terrell Bernard from Baylor. Best Defensive Back, Petrie again. And Best, best Special Teams Player, no surprise, Marcus Jones from Houston. Uh, I want to ask you about freshman of the year because this one had a lot of candidates for it right um had xavier worthy had bryce foster for a&m i think he kind of turned his season around after kind of a rough start there what made alton mccaskill i understand that pick and i agree with that pick but what made alton mccaskill for you kind of that 
So some of it was cheating, right? Xavier Worthy was first team All-State, so it was like he kind of got his recognition, right? Right. With running back being stacked, there's not a place for Alton McCaskill on that list, right? And so he deserves some kind of recognition for setting a school record, and you know he scored, I think, 18 total touchdowns for Houston, Mm -hmm. um, set their school record for single, you know, for most rushing touchdowns. Uh, for freshmen, really provided some balance that allowed Clayton Toon to then be more efficient with the football that just completely unlocked that offense. Uh, I think he's a future star. I've always been really high on him. I think if we went back to like week two, week three of this podcast, I'm talking about Alton McCaskill. And so uh, for me, it was just a guy who had fulfilled his promise, who did a lot of stuff and like was asked to be a bell cow runner for a conference contending football team, and that's hard to do. Yeah. I think it's easier to be a wide receiver, mm-hmm. right? It's harder to be a running back. Bryce Foster was number two mm-hmm. there for me. Mm-hmm. The hard part with offensive line is how do you grade it? Sure. You know, there's not there's not as much tangible – like I can, I can point to stats with right. McCaskill and be like, well, he rushed for 16 touchdowns. Like that's why he's the freshman All-American. Right. It's harder with offensive line, and we'll get more into this when you ask, you know, about – kind of the hardest groups to pick mm-hmm. uh, but offensive line is so subjective sure you're not you don't know the assignments you yeah. don't know the grades I don't know what Jimbo Fisher thinks on a week in week out basis like right. we're guessing with sure. offensive line in a lot of ways and so it was just hard to hard to pick him um, but yeah I think McCaskill had a great year an impactful year for a team that competed for a conference championship yep all right so before we get to position was there a hardest decision whether it was like leaving somebody off Having uh, maybe somebody first team over second team or something like having to sink somebody to second team, was there a single hardest decision that you had coming up with these? Yeah, I think it was the wide receiver position, honestly, Mm -hmm. right? It was like – because in our brain, or at least in my brain, a tight end deserves to be on the list somewhere. Sure. But you look around this state, and wide receivers are just so prolific. If I give you cowing – Nathaniel Dell at Houston and mm-hmm. Xavier Worthy at Texas. Right. Like who who gets left off? If I only had to pick two out of those three, right? Like who gets left off there? I guess Cowan can't right. just because of I mean he had thirteen hundred plus yards receiving or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so like is Xavier Worthy a second team All State wide receiver? Absolutely not. <laughs> right, right. Not over a tight end. Yeah. Right. That that isn't featured as much. I mean Jalen Widemeyer had a better year last year. Than he had this year Um, and so I think for me that was the toughest part was to like convince myself okay I can make this a flex spot where Mm. it's like wide receiver or tight end because I did feel like those three guys deserve to be first team all-state guys and I didn't know how to make the decision between Worthy and Nathaniel Dell yeah and I think uh, one of the other ones that might stand out to people is because just because the sheer depth Zachary Franklin second team right like Zachary Franklin was like, if Frank Harris needed a play, if UTSA needed a play, he's like, where's Zakari? Like, right. every single clutch play, every single big play they needed, big first down. He was their red zone guy. He's their uh, third down guy. That was the guy. And, yeah, because you have Nathaniel Dell, you have Xavier Worthy, you have Jacob Cowing, like, he's kind of have to be second team. So, right. it was an insane year for Yeah, I mean, like, Danny receiver. Gray at SMU. <laughs> Quint, Jeez, Quentin yeah. Johnson at TCU was first team all Big 12. Yeah. And he didn't even make right. the list. Yeah. Right. And <laughs> he's so like deep. the maybe the biggest freak show of any of the ones that we've mentioned right Probably, there. Yeah. To, you know, and so wide receiver, we, a lot of 
words have been spent on how the state of Texas has become a quarterback state yeah. and how seven on seven in the spread offense has allowed Texas to kind of get ahead of all the other states in quarterback development. Mm-hmm. Not enough has been mentioned about how good the wide receivers are in this state and how much like we have just produced wide receivers going through the stats and the list. It was like, I even put it on Twitter. It's like, if I give you these five guys, who's on the first team, who's on the second team, who gets left out? Like it's an impossible chore. Like you could have made them, you could put Zachary Franklin on the first team and put worthy second team. And I wouldn't have much of an argument, right? Like I have an opinion, but I can't, (laughs) I can't fault you for it. Right. And so, Wide receiver to me was was a really tough spot, not because of the position itself, just because of like how good, um, you know, even like a Jake Parker at right, you know, like there yeah. was just guys with like huge stat lines that just had to be left off these teams, and so that was that was the hardest position for me. Uh, so that was, so, so looking at uh, you mentioned offensive line earlier, right? Let's go with what was your thought process heading uh, with that. Because I don't see much to disagree with here, right? I think the, there were a couple guys that I think we mentioned had to be on, right? Spencer Burford and Kenyon Green and Connor Galvin, to me, I think were the three right. that were like those guys, right? Um, they're all first team. So with the rest of the line, first and second team, who are your, what were your thought? Pro- what was your thought process going in? Because you mentioned how tough that position group is, kind of to evaluate. Yeah, I mean, I looked at like PFF grades mm-hmm. and then the kind of like the all conference teams because yeah. I feel like coaches know more about that stuff. Like sure. offensive line, there's not you can't go look at a box score and like figure out which offensive lineman played the best. And then how do you? How do you determine – how do you separate – because no other position on the football field has to play as a group like that, yeah. right? Like, Derek Kerstetter could play, like, the greatest game of his life, mm-hmm. but if the other four Texas offensive linemen aren't playing very well, like, nobody's going to notice that, right? right? Like, it's not right. like – and so, like, they, to me, that's the hardest part where you have to start looking for outsides kind of sourcing – to like then kind of like come up with your opinions and see if it matches with what everybody else is seeing. Sure. Um, and then it's also to just get rid of the trying to find two tackles, two guards in the center. Oh yeah, no, that's yeah. yeah you just you just, just who are the best five offensive linemen? Exactly. Um, I think the toughest decision for me was Patrick Paul or Jacob Gal mm. as kind of the first team, second team stuff, right? Mm. And Patrick Paul was named first team all AAC, you know, as a freshman. And it was like, okay, well, if the coaches think that highly of him, then I need to as well. Right. And so I, he got the nod there. And then Derek Kerstetter as well was one of those where it feels like he's a really good offensive lineman. And I yeah. feel like I know enough about football to be like, you know, Kerstetter's good. He'd yeah. start everywhere. But then to see the Big 12 coaches make him also. first team on a team that did struggle offensive line-wise is like, okay, well, then I'm not crazy <laughs> right. for making him first team All-State because so did the coaches in the Big 12. Sure, sure. All right, last two ones. Um, easiest selection. Who was the guy where you're just like, oh, yeah, that's that's first team? Or DeMarvin the- Leal. Yeah. I definitely agree with that. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. Like, uh, DeMarvin Leal and Kenyon Green yeah. are probably probably the two guys that, like, are, they're just different human beings. Like, mm-hmm. those are top 15, 20 draft picks in the NFL who also perform really well on the field. Like, they're grown men, right? right. I mean, Kenyon Green was, like, a Buckus Award weekly finalist guy at two different positions, right? Yeah. He's got it at guard and tackle this year in the SEC. Been the SEC Offensive Lineman of the Year a couple times already at A&M. And then DeMarvin Leal is a guy that, you know, since I saw him at Converse Judson, I knew he was just special. And even if he didn't put up all the numbers this year, it's mm-hmm. because he was doubled and tripled team, like every single 
play of every single game. Like I, right. there's not many defensive linemen that get the attention that Leal gets from like opposing offenses. Uh, he was one of those where I could have penciled him in in June. Sure. Right. We could have penciled him in last August. Right. <laughs> right, right. Um, he's just he's the best player in the state. Like there's not a better football player in the state than DeMarvin mm-hmm. Leal. Yep. I definitely agree with that. Uh, looking back on that Judson team. Golly, I want to say, did he was his junior year that sincere Julon year or was that a sophomore year? Yeah, well, he's in the same grade as Sincere and Rashad Wisdom. Okay, and then Jelan's a was the year, year uh, older. Year older. I feel like that right. was. I feel like that might have been seventeen. So the Judson eighth grade football team. Yeah. Right, and like fourteen or whatever. Yeah. I was on the UTSA beat then, uh-huh. and like even in the city at that time, they knew it was like those like, guys. Like it was like there are some dudes coming up at Judson. Like Rashad Wisdom was the starting running back right. on the, uh, in yeah. front of Sincere McCormick That's nuts, on the yeah. eighth grade. You know, like. It is a like the amount of talent that came through Judson at the time is absolutely. I think I think I talked to him at the photo shoot. We were talking, and he was like, "I brought up that Lake Travis area. Somehow drew Lake Travis an area, and it's like that's just unfair." Um, And so that was I think Julon was also hurt that year at quarterback, so like he wasn't 100. percent And they got robbed against Westlake one of those years too. There was a fumble at the goal line that wasn't actually a fumble. Yeah, it was like he was down, but like there's no you know replay or anything, and it was at Westlake, you know, and like that kind of stuff. Uh, but team. yeah, that that was a that's a different group. You look back at that group, and those are three NFL football players yeah. on the same football team. And it makes sense that the only I mentioned that like Travis team because the only guys that were able to stop them was Garrett Wilson, yeah. <laughs> somebody of of Bolitnikov status and probably a top ten wide receiver pick, was what was able to hold those guys back. Um, anyway, last one. Looking at this list, or thinking about your process. Who's the guy you left off and you're like, yeah, we need a 12th spot. Like we need just like somebody that you were just like, I need, we needed more players on this team. <laughs> Probably Isaiah Spiller. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Um, he, it just feels weird. Right. Right. No, like, no, I mean, like, he, he didn't one, play bad. <laughs> he's one of the top two or three running backs in the state. If we're talking sure. just pure talent standpoint, and if he gets the amount of carries that an Abram Smith or a sincere McCormick gets, he's on this list. Right. If he, right. Like the DeAndre Torrey, Isaiah Spiller mm, decision mm-hmm. was very tough, right? Mm-hmm. Because like stat line alone and like the way North Texas finished that season, Torrey deserved the spot. Right. Um, but Isaiah Spiller is a future NFL running back, right? And he's not even a second team All-State on a eight and four team in the SEC. You yeah. know, like it. you couldn't have convinced me before the year that Isaiah Spiller wasn't going to be on this list. Sure. And sure. so – even when I was putting it together, I had, I think I asked you, I was like, I got to put Tori in front of him. Right. Like, I mean, cause it just like, it, yeah. <laughs> it feels like a weird thing. So like that one, that one was the hardest because what's hard about these lists for mm-hmm. us is this isn't a beauty pageant, right? No, exactly. It's not a draft sheet. Like right. it's not a, like who are the best prospects? Who are the, the biggest, best, fastest Gotta players? Production. It's, it's about production and impact. Yep. Right. And so would DeAndre Torrey have that kind of production and impact if he played in the SEC? Mm-hmm. No. Probably not. Would Isaiah Spiller run for 1,400 yards if he played for North Texas? Yes. Yeah. But that's not the reality that we live in. And so, like, that, that is the hard part because 
you know, I, I get I, I would get stuff like I know y'all favor smaller schools, and it's mm-hmm. like, well, you don't favor them, right? You just have to include them, right? Right? Like you have to you have to include that production. You have Fort- to take away names. You have to put stats up and say player A, player B, right? Against happening? their competition. Yes. If they same wearing, with the power pole. Watch the highlights. Watch the games. Take away. You know, they're all, they're all wearing white jerseys, white helmets. Right. Who? What's happening on the field? It's right. like Mr. Texas football. Yeah. Right. Like. Just because you play in 2A, I'm not supposed to pay <laughs> right. attention to those ungodly numbers or right. whatever. Would you be able to do that at Cedar Hill? Probably not. Right. But, like, that's not – you're not at Cedar Hill, The right? phrase pound for pound exists for a reason. Right, like Jonathan Brooks <laughs> yeah. at Hallettsville last yes. year, right? Um, and so, like, it's the same thing at the college level. Like, this can't just be an all-state team of Texas, Texas A&M, and Baylor players. Right. Like, that's not what we're intended to do. Sure. And so, I, I think that was the hardest part for me is separating – just pure talent to production and impact on the field. But John Robinson versus Abram Smith right. is that argument in a nutshell, right? I think sure. that illustrates the decision we have to make at Dave Campbell's that maybe you don't make on other All-American award lists is it's not just like who is the prettiest looking right. horse in the stable, right. you know, like it is like, who had the better year? Well, Abram Smith had the better year. Some yeah. of that's because of injuries and all that kind of stuff. That's not us saying that Bajon Robinson isn't the best player in the state. No, I'm, right? I mentioned it after because I believe I think he got first team Big Twelve over right Abram over Smith, Abram. right. Um, and I tweeted out like if you compare, I think that vote to me was decided by at the TCU game for Bijan Robinson because that was his kind of breakout game. That was the game where everybody kind of saw him as a Heisman candidate. And then I said, okay, well that's fair. And then I put up I put up their stats, him and Abram Smith from that point on. And like Bijan Robinson had like two more hundred yard games. Right. And Abram Smith had like two games where he didn't hit hundred yards. Right. Like it was like to me, there there was like a clear demar- demarcation of like, okay, here's where they separated and one consistent one one was consistent and one was hurt obviously right. did sure. not play right but you got to take that into account right. right this isn't a preseason exactly all america like preseason all list or yeah. whatever but john robinson's gonna, probably going to be offensive player of the year right probably like exactly. he's he's the, he's the most talented running back in this state yeah uh, but he hasn't had a hundred yard game since october 16th yeah like that's just what it is now some of that's not his fault because he was injured right uh, but you you know, Abram Smith ran 100 do, yards, eight we, out of 12 games. I was say, do we dock Abram Smith because he played all the games? Right, you know? like, right. So. And he played it for a team in games that mattered. Yeah. Right? Like, those games for Baylor down the stretch mattered. Mm-hmm. You know, Bajon Robinson's running for 130 yards against Oklahoma State, and they're losing. Right. Right? They lost five straight in a row with Bajon Robinson going off. Right? He played in the Oklahoma game. He play, You know, like, he played in all of those games. Um, and so – I do think impact and productivity have to matter. And to me, the last six games are more important than the first six games. Like, maybe that's the old high school prep writer in me where, like, things start in district, Mm -hmm. you know, but, like, conference performance matters. And when rubber hit the road, Abram Smith was in games that mattered with, like, he played in those games that mattered and he played well in those games that mattered. He was, like, an impact player on a winning football team. If things are pretty much equal – I'm going that way. Mm-hmm. All righty. Well, for a show where we didn't preview any games, you did pretty well, I'd say. Uh, like I said, go check out all these uh, stories. we got two stories up, one on the individual awards, one on the uh, all-Texas team on texasfootball.com. 
Go uh, send Mike Craven your tweets about how you hate how he's biased against whoever, um, how he hates Texas State or whatever. Uh, Dalton Cooper's on there, so I'm gonna actually throw a bone out to him um, that he did include Texas State. Uh, I even yeah. asked you. Yeah, I was like, exactly. uh, I was like, hey, hey, uh, if there's one player from Texas State that deserves to be on this list, tell me because I don't want to yeah. get killed for being the UTSA <laughs> guy that doesn't include a Texas State player. And I was like, yeah, Dalton Cooper's actually pretty good. So there you go. Um, so, yeah, go check that out. Go debate with your friends or whatever. Pump it out. Uh, getting some cool traffic from some programs pumping it out. UTSA making graphics for the awards we're yeah, getting. Yeah, so man. That's really cool. I'm liking to see that. Uh, yeah, I don't know. What, well, geez, I don't know. We'll probably be back next week because, you know, there's no games to recap this Sunday. Yeah, and we'll do be, like a bowl. We can do like an overall bowl, you know. Yeah, it's like an extravaganza yeah, thing. Right. Whatever. The right. Eight, eight, eight bowl games involving Texas teams. I'd be down for that. Yeah. All right. So uh, subscribe, rate, and review. Remember, we are pretty small, still growing, so anything helps the algorithm. Uh, thank you, Mike. And Mallory does not have a mic. Thank you as well. She is here in the room with us, but she refuses to be on mic right now. I'm messing with you. Don't, don't, you don't have to grab your mic. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, see, no, uh, there you go. Okay. <laughs> this is great for the audio medium. Um, but regardless, uh, thank you, Mallory, for producing this for us. And we will be back next week.